0: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, because we live. 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 Welcome to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. I'm Walker Mail. No Doug Branson and no Nada Edwards today. Doug had to work. We suspended Nada. Nada's gone for the week because he riled up Charlotte Hornets Twitter last night. So we've punished him. He's gone for the week, and we'll see when he comes back on. But he riled up Hornets Twitter last night in a way that only Nada can. He was great at it, and he was great at it last night. No Doug Branson and no not Edwards, but we'll see when they come back. We'll figure out when those guys come back at some point this week. It's going to be hit or miss, but uh, just going to be me for today. You can just check us out all on Twitter, at Walker Mail. You can check out Nada on Twitter if you want to, at Nottah the Scribe, and at Doug Branson, L-O-H. Find the show handle on most social media platforms, at Lockdown Hornets. So the weekend, it was kind of rough for the Charlotte Hornets. They did not look good, certainly defensively, against the Utah Jazz And the New Orleans Pelicans will recap those games. We will get into the Nick Batum discussion, only logging 14 minutes against the New Orleans Pelicans on Sunday. So we will get into that discussion about Nick Batum and just what's going on with him. We'll also get into some of the injuries that have occurred this weekend. Marvin Williams, Cody Zeller, both those guys going down. Let's get into that here pretty quickly. Uh, You look at what the Charlotte Hornets did again. They dropped both of their games. And against each opponent, Against the Pelicans and the Jazz, they both gave up 119 points to their opposing offenses. They scored 111 against the Jazz. They scored 109, coming back from what really was a 20-point deficit pretty late in that game, to bring that within 10. So 119-109 to against the Pelicans, 119-111 to against the Jazz, and defense both nights were not very good at all. And you saw against the New Orleans Pelicans, it was a play that happened in transition where Marvin Williams was trying to do whatever he could to to stop a fast break from happening. He got his shoulder injured, and it looks like he's going to be out. He was out for the remainder of that game, and we got that prognosis pretty quickly as soon as that injury happened and he was off the court. And we'll see. No word yet. It doesn't look like he's going to play, but uh, we don't know for sure whether Marvin is going to be going on Wednesday. The good news is there are a couple of days to go. But it begs the question just what Marvin Williams' impact is on the court and what he means to that team. Now, you look at what he did offensively. It was a rough go in October. We all lived through the awful shooting. Of Marvin Williams shooting just 21% from beyond the arc, which is really where he provides most of his offensive value. There are still times where he'll try to get up. He's given us a couple of good Marvin jams at the, uh, in his time here in Charlotte, but mainly it's his ability to shoot from beyond the arc that provides his most value. And again, 21% in October, but we lived through it. We got through it together. And eventually in November, he shot almost 40% 39.7% from three and he shot 54 45 I should say excuse me 45.4% from the field as a whole. So you did that, and he logged 26 minutes in the month of November per game, so much better offensively than what he was doing in October. We knew that percentage was going to tick up. It was only a matter of time before some of those shots started to fall for Marvin. It was a brutal start to the season, but now Marvin has shown you that it's not a guy that you're relying on to be your second scoring option. He did provide a couple of games at the end of November where he gave you 20, 16, and then 15 in that game against Utah before he got injured Pretty early on against New Orleans, So he actually had kind of of a good run shooting the basketball. He logged thirty six minutes in that loss to the Atlanta Hawks. He logged only twenty two in that win, but it was by fourteen points. he didn't close out that game. But I think if if Marvin's gone for a little while, you know my love for Marvin. I have an affinity. I think I have affinity for Marvin. I think he helps this team out quite a bit. And on the defensive side, I think organizationally, you hear it all the time from, Rick Bennell and, and I, I agree with it, that organizationally, you hear Marvin constantly chattering. If you're able to hear him mic'd up on the court all that much, that Marvin's the guy whose voice you can hear, I feel like, more than anybody else's, and I feel like that provides some real value for this team. So Marvin, he's been trusted by James Borrego to close out a lot of these close games, you look at Utah. He was on the court for a lot of that fourth quarter all the way till you hit triple-digit zero. Same thing with Milwaukee. He was a, It was a, a key point, He was a key factor in closing out that game, scoring 16 points, shooting four three-pointers, hitting four three-pointers out of the six that he took, locking 37 minutes. So Borrego trusted Marvin to close out that game and that close loss to Atlanta where Bazemore eventually just drove by Dwayne Bacon and hit that layup. Marvin Williams, he closed out that game, 36 minutes, because Borrego felt like that was the guy he had to rely on now defensively against Atlanta that was awful but you get the point Borrego trusts Marvin as much as anybody on that side of the floor and I think if Marvin's gone then it really could hurt this team and I'm also a fan of Cody Zeller and Cody Zeller did not go in this game against the New Orleans Pelicans after he got hurt in that game against Utah and so you wonder just how the matchup would have been with Cody Zeller in there on Anthony Davis rather than Frank Kaminsky. Kaminsky did great on the offensive end 19 points and even there were a couple of times where Frank actually played pretty solid defense on Anthony Davis there was a couple of star shots that Davis hit where you're not going to stop that with a lot of great defenders in the league but you wonder just how much of a difference Cody Zeller would have made in that game against the New Orleans Pelicans so with both guys kind of key components to your front court both guys that start by the way where Borrego Has no problem switching up all of his lineups and being a mad scientist experimenting with whatever lineup he wants to put out there. There is a method to it, as Rick Bennell just wrote in an article that he had posted here recently with the Charlotte Observer. But the starters have all stayed the same until Cody Zeller got hurt and you had to go into a different direction where Billy got that start. But eventually, Billy was so bad on defense that you had to go with Frank, and Frank actually played better than what Billy Hernan Gomez did. So it'll be interesting to see how the absence of Cody Zeller is going to hurt this team. I think it has quite the effect on them as well. But I think Marvin really will have a big impact, especially on the defensive side. But offensively, with the way that he's been hitting shots here recently, you know, he has – you look at the last – five games that he's played that has been healthy not including that pelicans game because he got hurt early but you look at the past five games he did log a zero point game and their win against atlanta he didn't play the fourth quarter because they won by 14 points but he didn't log that one so yeah that's a big outlier didn't score a point in that game but he scored 20 in their loss to atlanta he scored 16 in their win against milwaukee and he scored 15 in their loss against utah so he had been shooting the wall ball pretty well i think he makes a big impact so we'll see if he is able to go for this team or not come wednesday when they have to pay face the uh, minnesota timberwolves in a game that they're below 500 right now so we'll see so we'll see exactly if uh, they're able to get back to 500 it's been amazing to see how entrenched in the 500 mantra that they've been, I think bring back the buzz tweeted this out. Like they were seven and seven, eight eight, nine and nine, ten and ten, eleven and eleven. So now at least we have good news to look forward to. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more from what happened this weekend with the Charlotte Hornets. It is the season of giving. We're giving you daily Hornets talk in your podcast feed, and we need you to show your support by joining our Patreon page for as little as $1 a month. Just $1. You'll be supporting the content that you depend on. Patreon.com slash L-O-H. Patreon.com slash L-O-H. We'll get to the Nick Batum discussion. Frank Kaminsky, like we said, he did perform pretty well against the New Orleans Pelicans. We'll get to that and plenty more here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three point line? Oh, did it? I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay. <laughs> you did. I think okay. you said Miles Turner. was Leonard. on me. Sorry about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's, that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Lockdown Hornets podcast. It's Walker Mail. Give a shout out to the Ginnemer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. We're coming to you live from the Essex Home Studios in Charlotte. Thanks to 730 The Game, ESPN Charlotte. Using their facilities as we record this podcast. But again, we do give a shout out to the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Ginnemer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing that you want to do. And that's make more sales. How about Frank Kaminsky against that Pelicans team, though? Didn't lead to a victory, but we got to see some good things from Frank. You heard Eric Collins on the broadcast discuss his familiarity with Anthony Davis, both around the same age, except Anthony Davis as a phenom, a freshman at Kentucky, left after one year and winning the national championship alongside your Michael Kidd Gilchrist. But Anthony Davis coming out of t- coming out of college very quickly, Frank Kaminsky. Staying all four years at Wisconsin and becoming a legend up there in Madison and getting to the college basketball championship before eventually they would fall to Duke, Jalil Okafor, Tyus Jones, and all those guys. But both of these guys familiar. They're both coming from the Chicago area. So Eric Collins, good job letting us know that how familiar they are with each other. And how about Frank actually doing some good things against AD? I mentioned it in the first segment, but there was one time where Frank just put Anthony Davis on low-key skates. Going down to the goal, doing the up and under, bamboozling AD. It was imp- it was impressive to see what Frank was able to do. 19 points for Frank, I think named the sprite player of the game by the Hornets broadcast, and I don't even have any problem with it. I think Frank Kaminsky gave you some very good minutes against the Pelicans. wasn't his fault that they did not come out victorious in that game against New Orleans. So now you see Frank, ever since Billy went down with that injury, we all kind of at least looked at the possibility of Frank getting some minutes when Billy went down. He did. He was able to get some double-digit points, I think 10, 12, 10 again. There was a time in Thanksgiving, around Thanksgiving, I think, in that area where maybe he played a couple games and he disappeared a little bit. But resurrection once again for frank kaminsky and i think you're cool with this like you're fine with frank getting this many minutes per game you know it's it's i think he's been averaging about 13 12 and a half per game since he's started to get back in the rotation and if if you get this frank kaminsky for that amount of time maybe there are the off nights where he doesn't get you a point and maybe he just gets you four or five but you know everybody has off nights and at least it's not to the impact that it used to have when Steve Clifford had to rely on Frank to be that backup four for when Marvin had to get a breather like now you're not really dealing with that because Borrego again he goes with crazy lineups that we haven't seen utilized under Steve Clifford how about Borrego going to The small lineup that he did last night with Devontae Graham and Kimba Walker, Tony Parker, all out on the floor. I mean, that was amazing to see all three of those guys on the floor together going crazy small mkg i believe was the center now maybe it was maybe it was frank was still out there i think it was uh frank kaminsky was the center and obviously a stretch five at that point so frank was the tallest guy uh legitimate center out there at least at the five position but still going that small when they were trying to climb back in that game against the pelicans just couldn't go on a run And a couple of similar problems that they had in both of those losses this weekend. Just couldn't seem to sustain a run long enough to get legitimately back in that game against Utah. And same thing against New Orleans, where I think they brought it to within 10 after New Orleans had kind of gotten off. To a fifteen to twenty point lead, Hornets brought it back to within ten, but then New Orleans once again just able to stretch that out before the Hornets got too much hope in order to make a legitimate dent and try to come back. And so, New Orleans and Utah both victorious this weekend at the Spectrum Center. As the Hornets, they do go two and two. Would have liked to have seen a three and one record. Get maybe a game above five hundred, a couple games try to get that cushion, but they were unable to do so. So we'll see what they're able to do against the Minnesota Timberwolves here on Wednesday. Thanks again for listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Is your company looking for a new way to reach customers? Your company could be mentioned right now on this podcast. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with sponsors they hear on their podcast. Our demographic is 98% males and more education and earning more than traditional media audiences. So sponsor the show that you love and share your message with other like-minded fans. Email info at lockdownhornets.com. For more information, we'll get into the Nick Batum discussion. Only 14 minutes against the Pelicans. It's not been a great year. There have been stretches that have been okay, but the Nick Batum experiment still having people feel uncomfortable. We'll have that discussion on the other side of the break. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Now, here's the funny part. I was listening to this, to prepping for the show, and um, my wife walks in and was like, What are you yeah, listening right to? That's a little scary oh. if you don't have the context. If you walk yeah. in and you start hearing that, yeah. that's Darth Vader. I didn't have pants on. That didn't help <laughs> yeah, either. No, um, <laughs> It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Locked on Hornets podcast. Man, Miles Bridges looked good last night. Playing against that Pelicans team. Doing a good job of hitting a couple of threes that were contested. The sick pass off the backboard from Malik Monk to Miles Bridges. That was a fun play. It's always fun to see those guys link up. Malik Monk throw the oop to Miles Bridges. We haven't seen it a whole lot because Malik Monk actually not getting too many minutes here recently. James Borrego saying that Malik Monk needs to play more consistent on both ends of the floor, specifically on the defensive side of the floor. Sound familiar, right? Like we saw this from Steve Clifford who grew so impatient with Malik Monk who tried at least at the beginning of the season to give him the minutes just like Borrego did. It's just Malik Monk. I'm worried about Malik. Like I want Malik to be so good. I want... I'm pull for him probably as much as any other Hornet on this roster, but you see the last three games logging eight minutes against that win against the Hawks, six minutes against the Utah Jazz, 10 minutes against the New Orleans Pelicans, and that's, he's not logging many at all. He's averaging at about what, nine, eight minutes per game, eight minutes, I guess, per game the last three games combined. And he's made only one field goal in each of those. And he's gotten his shots up in those few minutes. Got two up against Atlanta, but he got four up against Utah. He got five up against New Orleans. Hasn't hit a three in any of those games. You look overall in the season, shooting thirty, shooting 32% from three and shooting 37% from the field. I want Malik Monk to do so much better. But right now, it's just been a funk and, and you can hopefully hopefully see him develop Into a nice player. But right now, just the the, if if you're not going to play defense, if you're not going to be at least any kind of competent on defense, then it's going to be tough to go out there and shoot 36%, 37% from the field and have the coach still play you. You know, Borrego said it. He needs consistent play on both ends of the floor, especially on defense. With those shooting numbers, he's not even saying offense with the especially part attached to it. He's saying the defense is. It goes to show you maybe. We need to, I don't know if you need to worry about Monk, but it's not off to a good start right now. But Miles Bridges, that's a guy that you certainly can feel good about. One guy that you don't feel good about, a lot of people don't feel good about at least, is Nick Batum. Nick Batum logging 14 minutes against this Pelicans team yesterday in a 119-109 loss to the Pelicans. Stat line, two points, only had one turnover, which is good for Nick Batum. Three rebounds, one assist, 0 for 3 from the three-point line with a god-awful miss that he had earlier in that game, and just the one field goal made. So let's talk about Nick. Nick is getting paid $26 million a year on an accelerator where he's going to be locked in for two more years after this one. It's only right that we demand Nick Batum play better basketball. You have to hold him accountable for his contract. It's not his fault. It's never really the player's fault for getting the kind of money that they're getting, right? I mean, I would be, if I was an incompetent basketball player and I was getting way more than my value, I'd be cool with that. So we're not going to blame Nick for this, but you can certainly blame the team for giving him $26 million. And a lot of people have, and I am one of them. Like, Nick Batum is certainly not worth the contract. I don't think there's any arguing that. You can argue that anybody would have given them that $26 million at the beginning. I know there were links that Dallas wanted to pay him that money, and I think we knew that. I think we knew that Dallas would have been willing to pay him the $26 million or close to the max that Nick Batum eventually got here with Charlotte. We all know that he's not worth the contract, but I've kind of grown numb to that specific discussion because it's so obvious. It's so obvious Nick Batum is not playing up to the value of his contract. So I wanted to have a discussion, at least at the beginning of the season, like what is the best thing for the Charlotte Hornets, and what is best for Nick Batum, for them and the fans, to all coincide and at least say, look, we. It, it's, it's not that it's not right to hold him to his contract. I've just gotten numb to it. So what's the best way that the Hornets can utilize Nick Batum? It's always kind of left me scratching my head that Nick Batum needs to be more aggressive. You know, the narrative at the beginning of the season surrounding Nick Batum was that Nick needs to be more aggressive. That Nick needs to do the big things right. I remember Kimba had a great line saying Nick Batum's always done the little things right. We need him to do the big things well. We need him to do the big things right. Like I'm I'm done with that. Like we don't need Nick Batum to do that anymore. No this is what he is. He is not the second scoring option. He's not the second option in really any regard to a Charlotte Hornets basketball team or a team that looking to contend for some real success. He actually had a pretty nice stretch in the last half of the the month of November. You look from November 19th, which was that win against the Boston Celtics, to the end of the month, he actually had a stretch that I'm pleased with from him. This is what I've grown to expect from him, and I'm fine with it. Where Nick maybe didn't hit all that many threes, but he got 9, 11, 9, 14, 7, 13, and 6. Maybe you want the scoring to go up a little bit more, but he was efficient. I mean, you look at what he was shooting from the field in that stretch. He shot 30% against the Celtics, which wasn't good, but then he went 80%, 57, 62, 75, 50, 60. So that's, that's efficient Nick Batum. He's not giving you a ton of offensive output. He's not giving you a ton of points, but it's efficient Nick Batum, and I had grown to be fine with that. One for seven against the Pelicans, logging fourteen minutes. That's not good. I don't know how anybody can defend it. It's an awful performance from Nick Batum. I do think defensively he's actually been pretty good. There have been time, I think there were some times yesterday against New Orleans where I, I saw him rotate and he did a good job of not letting somebody cut through the paint. Like I I think Nick Batum has done a pretty good job on that end of the floor. We can criticize Nick Batum for not living up to that contract all we want. And I agree with you. He's certainly not worth to that. But when he plays games like he did last night, like that becomes a whole new level of bashing Nick. Because he wasn't even playing up to a guy that's making $10 million a night. He wasn't playing up to that kind of value. And at the beginning of the season, I was as hard on Nick as anybody now, you look at October, it was a bad month in October for a lot of guys on this team. It was a bad start for Marvin. It was eventually bad for Malik. You know, Jeremy Lamb did not have a good October. But you look at Nick Batum in some regards, like there were just too many games where he wasn't playing up to the value of just a $10 million a year guy. You know, there was that early stretch in November, I should say, where he goes, there, there's one stretch where he goes five points, five points, 11, zero. I mean, that's that's not, that's not good from Nick. Like, you need more from him. But, but where I'm to the point of if Nick Batum can just be your, your third option, someone who can facilitate okay, you No, know, I know the usage rate is down. I don't even mind that the usage rate is down. Like, the facilitation is, is the one thing that I think is valuable from him handling the ball, using Nick Batum. Like, I don't think it's all that crazy relevant that the usage percent is down for Nick Batum. I'm just cool with him being the option that he is. I, I understand that he's not living up to the contract, but I'm cool with him being the option that he is. I think I have grown. I just want Nick Batum to be efficient. I don't want any more of these one-for-seven nights. I want the stretch that he had previous to that where he's going four of seven, five of eight, three of four, four of eight, three of five. I I know. I know you want more, but we're not going to get it. That's the Nick Batum I think we have to live with. Like That is the successful Nick Batum right now. Give you a good defense. Maybe hit you with a couple of assists. Averaging three. Maybe gives you three, four, five assists. He's averaging five rebounds, which is fine. And that's just what we're set here with. Nobody likes it. I don't like it. I don't like that the Charlotte Hornets are paying somebody that much money to give you those kind of numbers. But as long as he's efficient and as long as he's not hurting the basketball team a ton, then okay. Like this is, I still think he is a player that has to be in the rotation. I don't think we bench Nick Batum. I don't think we go to the effect where you're playing Miles Bridges a hundred percent over him, where Nick Batum is just not a part of the rotation anymore. I don't think you get to the point where you pay him for or play him fourteen minutes a night. If he plays bad, yeah, sit him, fine. Let that be a fourteen minute night for him. But if he's giving you the three of five, if he's doing that efficient stuff, he gives you a couple of assists. He rotates on defense. You know, if he gives you bad turnovers and fine, sit him. But this is where I am with Nick Batum. I'm tired of the discussion because everybody's so angry and deservedly so over the last couple of years. But just for my mental health, like I'm just, this is the Nick Batum that I feel like we have to live with. All right, thanks for listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network today. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked On Hornets. Remember, it's Tuesdays with Rick tomorrow. We'll also take a look at that Minnesota Timberwolves game that we have ahead on Wednesday. We'll see if Doug and Nada are able to come back at some point this week. Until then, thanks so much for joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast.